0: Welcome to Kindred Spirits Book Club, the podcast where two grown-ass ladies geek out about Anne of Green Gables. And today, we are geeking out about Gilbert Blythe again. I'm Reagan Duffy. I'm joined by my friend, co host, and co president of the Southern
1: California chapter of the Gilbert Blythe Fan Club, Kelly Gerner. Hi, kindred spirits. So, we are accepting applications for membership in the Gilbert Blythe Fan Club on a rolling basis. Just reach out to your local chapter for more information. <laughs> so, Reagan, I just got home from a short visit with some of my college friends. We rented an Airbnb together and we recreated our very own Patty's place. Love it was a really precious to be able to reconnect with these women I've known since we were all 20 years old. And I kept thinking about Anne, Phil, Priscilla, and Stella as we were reminiscing about all the silly fun we used to have in school. Also, while I was gone, I finished a few books, which I'd like to recommend to you and the other kindred spirits. I read Romantic Comedy by Curtis Sittenfeld. It's a book about an unlikely romance between a mega pop star and a writer for a late night show based on Saturday Night Live. Basically, Reagan, this is the Tina Fey, Justin Timberlake fanfic you didn't know you needed, but I promise you, you do. (laughs) Love it. It's super funny. It's a quick read. It just sucks you right into the whirlwind of the show. The book is also partially set during COVID lockdown. And I haven't read a description of lockdown yet that felt really true to my experience. And this one did. So I definitely recommend that as well. That's Romantic Comedy by Curtis Sittenfeld. Awesome. I wish I had something exciting
0: and interesting to share, but honestly, this has been a very quiet week while my daughter Alice is off at Girl Scout camp and I did a lot of catching up on paperwork that is often really hard to concentrate on when she's home all day. So yeah, not much to report here. I have read absolutely nothing noteworthy, to be honest. Although I did reread Book Lovers because it just, oh, it's so good. That's Book Lovers by Emily Henry, and it is the perfect summer
1: romance read. Our love for Emily Henry knows no bounds. Well, Regan, I'm glad you got to enjoy a quiet week before Alice comes home and teaches you all of her camp songs. Yes. Everyone, please pray for me because (laughs) if last year is anything to go by, she will
0: come off the bus singing some camp songs and then sing for a week straight. And (laughs) I have been a camp counselor. I know that camp songs are deeply annoying, but I love her enthusiasm. So it is bound to be a noisy week here next week. But let's get right into our episode. Our kindred spirit of the week, obviously, is Gilbert. He's our childhood crush, he's our adult ideal. And we are delighted to spend a whole episode devoted to him.
1: For a quote of the episode, I really love this moment where we get a glimpse into Gilbert's psyche right after Anne has finally accepted his second proposal. We really see his common sense practicality at war with his sentimentality and his affection for Anne. And as we kind of discussed through the episode, those are some of the tensions that you see again and again with Gilbert, who's so level-headed, so down-to-earth, but then when it comes to Anne, just kind of loses it, I think. We start with Anne. She says, I don't see how you could keep on loving me when I was such a little fool, said Anne. Well, I tried to stop, said Gilbert, frankly, not because I thought you what you call yourself. See, he can't even call her a fool, (laughs) Regan. Bless his heart. I know. (laughs) But because I felt sure there was no chance for me after Gardner came on the scene. But I couldn't. And I can't tell you either what it's meant to me these two years to believe you were going to marry him and be told every week by some busybody that your engagement was on the point of being announced. I believed it, until one blessed day when I was sitting up after that fever, I got a letter from Phil Gordon, Phil Blake rather, in which she told me that there was really nothing between you and Roy, and advised me to try again. Well, the doctor was amazed at my rapid recovery after that. Oh, Gilbert. Gilbert.
0: So, for our story club today... We wanted to explore more of Gilbert's arc over the first three books. Let's look into the building of a romantic hero, one who is sensitive, honest, intelligent, and patient. Back in episode 11, we talked all about Gilbert's role in Anne of Green Gables, but now we want to connect who he started as to who he eventually becomes in Anne's life by the end of Anne of the Island. So definitely revisit episode 11 if you want some more in-depth Gilbert content. But let's go back to Anne of Green Gables briefly. Gilbert's arc starts right off with a little buildup and a little mystery. Diana informs Anne that Gilbert will be joining their class a few weeks into Anne's first school year. Gilbert had been visiting cousins in New Brunswick, so he starts the school year a little bit late. Diana reports that Gilbert is nearly 14, but still in the fourth book, like Anne, because he missed three years of school while the family went out to Alberta for his father's health. Diana really builds up Gilbert here. He's very handsome, but is known to tease the girls terribly. And Anne is already a tiny bit prejudiced against him, noting that his name is already written up with Julia Bells on the take notice board. Diana doesn't think that means anything because Gilbert teases Julia about her freckles. Anne thinks that take notices are silly, But in the next breath, bemoans that she'll never have her name written up in one, referring to her freckles. And we get several foreshadowing little beats in this conversation. Diana notes that Charlie Sloan is, quote, dead gone on Anne, and Anne is dismissive of Charlie. We also hear that Charlie thinks Anne is the smartest girl in school, but Anne thinks it's better to be pretty. And Diana throws out that Anne will have competition in
1: staying head of the fourth class with Gilbert joining her, as he is usually the head of his class. Amazing how many of those dynamics are exactly the same in Anne of the Island. Uh Uh-huh. Absolutely.
0: So before Anne even meets him, Gilbert has several strikes against him. He's going to be competition academically. He's associated with teasing a girl about her freckles, something that Anne herself is sensitive about. And Anne is going in reminded of all the
1: ways she thinks herself ugly. Anne admits that he's handsome when she sees him. And Gilbert is described as having, quote, curly brown hair, roguish hazel eyes, and a mouth twisted into a teasing smile. And the first action we see Gilbert take is to pin Ruby's braid to the back of her chair, causing a ruckus when Ruby shrieks. And then he catches Anne's eye and winks at her, including her in his mischief. Anne thinks this is a little rude. So by the time that Gilbert pulls Anne's braid and calls her carrots, Anne is not in any frame of mind to cut him slack. She cracks her slate on his head and then is mortified when she's punished by Mr. Phillips in front of the class. She puts this humiliation directly at Gilbert's feet. She resolves, as she's standing on the platform, to never look at Gilbert Blythe or speak to him again. Famous last words. (laughs) (laughs) Anne is not trying to hear Gilbert's apology after school at all. It's a really good apology, though, and sincerely meant. Diana even gives the context that Gilbert never apologizes to the other girls when he teases them. What we know that Anne doesn't know about this incident is that Gilbert had been intrigued by Anne and had been trying to get her to look at him all afternoon. Maude tells us, quote, "...Gilbert Blythe wasn't used to putting himself out to make a girl look at him and meeting with failure. She should look at him, that red-haired Shirley girl with the little pointed chin and the big eyes that weren't like the eyes of any other girl in Avonlea School. Anne's daydreaming out the window and didn't notice." And even if she had, she'd probably ignore him anyway. But right from the beginning, Gilbert thinks that there's something special about Anne. When the next day, Anne is punished unjustly by Mr. Phillips and made to sit with Gilbert as a consequence. Gilbert's association with feelings of humiliation, embarrassment, and shame is locked in for Anne. The book says her whole being seethed with shame and anger and humiliation. Gilbert sweetly attempts to make Anne feel better by slipping a pink candy heart that says you're sweet on it. Anne crushes it deliberately under her heel, the only amount of power she has on this tragic day. And somehow it becomes written on her soul that Gilbert is to blame for all of it and Gilbert is to be punished forevermore. Let's take a little pause here. We wondered way back when talking about Gilbert in episode 11 if the little pink heart candy was specifically a romantic gesture. We had a bit of a lively debate about it. And I think we can take what we now know about Gilbert from Anne of the Island, who said that he has loved Anne since she cracked him on the head with her slate, and justifiably read it as romantic. He even calls back to it by sending Anne the pink heart and necklace. He might not be able to name it specifically as love or romantic interest, but he definitely means something a little more specific than a generic apology with that heart.
0: Gilbert may only be 14, But this experience with Anne is nearly as formative for him as it is for her. It's just in the opposite direction. While Anne is swearing Gilbert as her lifelong nemesis, Gilbert is falling for Anne. She's clearly different from any other girl he's met before, not just new to town and to school. And she's not easily charmed by him or cowed by teasing as the other girls might be. She's passionate and she stands up for herself fiercely. And while Anne isn't conventionally attractive at this point, Gilbert's already noticed that her eyes weren't like any of the other girls. And Anne's deliberate ignoring of Gilbert possibly locks her in even more. The allure of what is hard to get is certainly hardwired into humans.
1: Oh, for sure. But, you know, that brings up some questions for me. What are the character differences between Anne and Gilbert? That Gilbert could take one look at Anne and know right away she was the girl for him. But Anne took literal years discovering that she also loved Gilbert. Well, I think one thing
0: that's obvious is that Gilbert is deeply confident. We don't know much about his home life. There's references to his dad's illness, and we know from mentions in Anne of the Island that his mother is sweet and kind. We can assume that Gilbert was raised in a loving home and as such never doubted his own self-worth. On top of that, he's clearly popular at school, seemingly admired by his peers and crushed on by all the girls. He knows he's intelligent, and while he isn't cocky, He is confident. He's charmed by Anne's academic competition for the most part. He
1: enjoys it. He's
0: not threatened by it.
1: I think that maybe Gilbert is a little cocky.
0: (laughs) Maybe a little cocky. We can compare that to Anne, though, who has had a lifetime of rejection and being on the outskirts, being unwanted. Anne has only had her imagination to keep her soul fed for much of her life. She feels very insecure in her looks, which are the primary measure of worth for girls and young women, in her friendships, in her worthiness in being loved and belonging. Anne is a challenge to Gilbert but Gilbert is a threat to Anne and her tiny beginnings of a sense of belonging and worth. She only recently learned she could stay at Green Gables. Getting in trouble at school like this makes Anne fear the Cuthberts might think her too much trouble to keep. It's not just a little schoolhouse tempest to Anne. So I think Gilbert is free to be intrigued by Anne. Before Anne, he never met anyone with as much fire, as much ambition and passion as Anne possesses. Anne is interesting and Gilbert is an interested person. He's curious and intelligent in a way that might not have always been challenged and nurtured in Avonlea, at least not until Anne came along. And I think there's something in Anne that is instantly attracted to Gilbert as well, but for all the reasons we have listed over many episodes, she just can't let herself even contemplate such a vulnerable feeling, especially for a person that triggered such a
1: threatening experience of shame as Gilbert unintentionally has done. I think that's such a great point, Reagan. Gilbert is intellectually curious. He's ambitious. He's intelligent. You know, of course, someone like Anne would intrigue him in a way that the other girls at Avonlea School, who Gilbert has known his whole life, would not. But I think there's another reason that Gilbert pretty much falls for Anne that first day in class. Maybe a more meta reason, but (laughs) (laughs) it's because he's a romance hero, right? It's this is just what they do. (laughs) He wouldn't be our hero if he didn't. So one of the most popular tropes for romance heroes is love at first sight, sometimes called insta-love. And it's a great trope. It's part fantasy, part wish fulfillment. You know, what young person doesn't daydream about someone special noticing how lovely and wonderful they are, especially during some of those lonely adolescent years when you are sure that no one sees you? And in Anne's case, it's especially romantic. Here's someone who can instantly see past the ugly dresses and unfashionable hair to her spirit within. I mean, that is absolutely instant romance hero.
0: It does bring up for me this idea where Gilbert falls in love with Anne at the moment she's at her worst. Right. Right? She's yes. She is absolutely at her worst here. This is her worst moment. Her anger has completely taken over mm-hmm. her. She's ashamed and humiliated and... That doesn't turn him off. It makes him maybe there's something about seeing that combination of passion and vulnerability that is so striking to him.
1: I don't know, but I think it's notable. I think that's Anne. She's all spirit and fire and do right. And so if he's used to, I mean, we love Diana and Jane and Ruby, but if he's used to those girls and then spirit and fire and do walk through the door, of course, who else are you going to look at?
0: Yeah. You're going to sit up and take notice of that. And it's very notable because he falls in love with Anne at her worst and Anne is always trying in her imagination, to be the opposite of
1: that person, right? Maybe that's I know, oh, that's really interesting, Reagan. And then I'm also yeah. thinking about how Anne realizes she's in love with him when he's brought low by illness, right? Right. So it's well, like both, There's a, a sort of a symmetry there, and both of them being this vulnerable point.
0: And there is that, you know, as much as Anne builds all these romantic ideals in her head, in those fantasies, she's an ideal, right? She's right. not
1: herself. Right, Which is an ideal imagining Cordelia Fitzgerald with raven hair and purple eyes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> anyway, we digress. We do uh, digress. But back to Insta love, you know, and of course, this is a trope that we've seen play out for centuries—truly, centuries of storytelling. Right? I mean, from Romeo and Juliet to Twilight, and so. No, sorry, no, no. Twilight fans. <laughs> but like said with love, that's one of the reasons that Twilight was so popular, right? Edward Cullen had this uncanny ability to see through to Bella's true self, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, Reagan. It's been a minute since I read Twilight. Stretch. A stretch. <laughs> But so anyway, readers know this trope when they see it, and it instantly establishes tension and stakes in the plot, especially when, as here, one character has fallen in love at first sight and the other one is taking her sweet time to get on board. (laughs) (laughs) So the fact that readers suspect that Gilbert is falling for Anne right from the start, and he himself confirms it in Anne of the Island, that firmly solidifies him as a classic romance hero. Well, for
0: the next few years, Anne ignores Gilbert as much as possible. In a small school like the Avonlea one, of course, the two of them are thrown into proximity all the time. Their academic abilities are constantly compared and they push each other to new heights. Anne ignores him at the concert and ignores him again when he takes the rose that dropped from her hair at a later concert. We are getting lots of hints that Gilbert views Anne in a romantic manner very early on. Diana is the one to consistently draw attention to these little moments, but Anne shuts it down time after time. We know Gilbert looms large in Anne's consciousness during these several years. She spends a lot of time deliberately not thinking about him, that it's obvious to the reader that she is aware of Gilbert all the time. So what must Gilbert think during these years? Here's Anne ignoring him in as obvious a manner as possible, but also clearly competing with him. We know Gilbert thinks of this rivalry in a good-natured kind of way. It's fun for him to have a real academic competition, and he clearly admires Anne. So maybe he doesn't even realize the depth of Anne's enmity towards him. I don't know exactly how much the boys and the girls socialize directly together at this age, so maybe it's a little bit easier for him not to notice that. He's out here looking meaningfully at Anne, when he recites, there's another, not a sister and picking Mm -hmm. up her fallen rose to keep in his pocket. How serious is he about these romantic little gestures?
1: Okay, I'm going to argue that based on what we learn from Gilbert and Anne of the Island, he is pretty dang serious in these early romantic gestures. I mean, I would bet you anything that that fallen rose from the dance of Anne's is something he held onto over the years. And we'll discuss this a little more in our Birch Path section, but Victorian-era courting was very prescriptive, and there wasn't a lot of room for missteps or misinterpretations. Gilbert would have known that even a very subtle declaration of affection for Anne made in public Could have far reaching consequences. And I also kind of wonder if some of those small but noticeable gestures were part of what made Anne so hesitant with Gilbert for so long, because he had the ability, as all Victorian era men did, to kind of like stake a claim on Anne, regardless of her feelings about the matter. So I think maybe, subconsciously perhaps, there was a small part of Anne holding out for so long just so that way she would have the opportunity to hold on to her own decision making.
0: Yeah, the first big shift in Anne and Gilbert's relationship comes when Gilbert rescues the unfortunate Anne from Barry's pond. At this point, Anne has turned 14 and that makes Gilbert 16 or 17. Anne is deeply humiliated by being stranded in the pond and even further humiliated that it is Gilbert of all people who rescues her. Gilbert doesn't hesitate to pull Anne into his boat and to his credit, doesn't tease her at all when Anne explains haughtily what happened. Gilbert then takes this moment to be vulnerable and ask Anne to be friends with him. He apologizes again for calling her carrots and is sincerely hopeful that she will drop her grievance with him. But Anne's pride is too deeply pressed by all this humiliation and she coldly rejects Gilbert's offer of friendship. And Gilbert is hurt by this, rightly so. He had been sincere and open and vulnerable. He apologized again, and Anne thoroughly rejected him. He does not cast up on Anne in this moment the fact that he just rescued her at all, even though a boy with fewer ethics might have used that to hurt Anne in turn. Gilbert does retort "Then fine, he'll never ask Anne to be friends again and storms off. We know from the text that Anne immediately regrets her coldness, but we don't know what Gilbert thinks. And Anne, being Anne, can't take it back. So instead, she doubles down on ignoring Gilbert for the next two years. Of course. <laughs> and for Gilbert, what had been a good-natured academic rivalry now plunges into rivalry in earnest. He just as obviously ignores Anne back, which turns out to bother Anne immensely, even though she tries to hide it from herself. So the two of them keep up the charade of ignoring each other while competing constantly, both of them completely aware of the other one at all times.
1: It's so fun. That, that tension throughout Anne of Green Gables is really fun. But you just realize that they are shooting themselves in the foot, both of them. So when Anne is invited to recite site at the White Sands Hotel, her stage fright is cured when she sees Gilbert. She thinks it's because her pride is activated and she doesn't want to fail in front of what she thinks is Gilbert's taunting smile. But the book tells us that Gilbert is not thinking any such thing. He doesn't wish for her failure and instead he is smiling at, quote, the effect produced by Anne's slender white form and spiritual face against a background of palms. So clearly his feelings for Anne, his romantic feelings for Anne, have not faded even with this intense rivalry. As they head off to Queen's, Anne again regrets not accepting Gilbert's offer of friendship. The two of them are the only Avonlea students that are taking the accelerated classes. And in Anne's loneliness, she wishes she could sit beside Gilbert in class. And when the Avonlea folk walk home from the train on Fridays together, Anne wishes she could walk with Gilbert sometimes recognizing that the conversations they would have would be interesting and engaging in a way that taps into both of their intellects and ambitions. We don't know what Gilbert thinks during this time that Anne is starting to notice Gilbert in a specific way that would indicate a crush if she let herself recognize it. Gilbert generally walks with Ruby on the way back from the train. I mean, what do you think? Is he deliberately trying to make Anne jealous? Because if so, it is working. (laughs) Or is it more just that he's trying to enjoy himself as best he can and give Anne the distance that she has insisted that she wants?
0: Gilbert is truly a good guy. So I lean more into the idea that he's mostly just trying to take Anne at her word, as he should. But he might, in his heart of hearts, hope that Anne notices. And Anne's jealousy regarding Gilbert talking to any other girls has always been a way for us readers to know how she really feels about Gilbert. Anne only lets herself think of Gilbert in terms of possible friendship, nothing romantic, even idly. But the twinge of jealousy we see from her tells us there's depths there that Anne is not acknowledging. We know that Anne would be entirely grateful if Charlie Sloan would find some other girl to walk with and not bother her anymore.
1: Yep. She definitely would. We do see that Gilbert will sometimes walk with Ruby to punish Anne as he does early on in Anne of the Island. I don't really think that he's motivated generally by the thought of making Anne jealous. I'm thinking of all the time he spent with Christine Stewart and even though it had the effect of making Anne jealous, that wasn't Gilbert's aim at all. He was just trying to do well by his friend. Christine's brother and finish out school strong. Anne was probably at the back of his mind. So, you know, even in these early days at Queens, he's probably trying to do what Anne asks and give her space more than he has any kind of like reverse psychology strategies in play. Right. And then
0: the big moment of reproachment occurs at the end of Anne of Green Gables. After Matthew's death, and gives up going to Redmond College so she can stay local and teach and help Marilla. The Avonlea school had already been given to Gilbert at the time of this decision on Anne's part, and Anne has accepted the Carmody school, which will mean that Anne will have to board in Carmody during the week, coming home on the weekends. Mrs. Lynde says. As soon as Gilbert heard that you had applied for it, he went to them and told them that he withdrew his application and suggested they accept yours. He said he was going to teach at White Sands. Of course, he gave up the school just to oblige you because he knew how much you wanted to say with Marilla. And I must say, I think it was real kind and thoughtful of him. That's what. Anne's pride would never have let her ask Gilbert to give up the school. And it is extremely notable that Gilbert does not tell Anne himself what he has done. He is not expecting this to soften Anne's feelings for him at all. He's not expecting Anne to love him in return or, heck, even acknowledge it. It seems like he was planning just to let the school board tell Anne she had the job and let her think it just happened that way. It's a beautiful gesture because it was done without any expectation at all. He was doing a kind thing for Anne, partly because he's a good guy, and partly because he really cares for Anne and wants her to have an easier life, even if he's not a part of her life. I think that's what we all love about this moment. Anne is the one who approaches Gilbert after this to thank him. Gilbert would have passed Anne on the road with nothing more than a polite hat tip, but Anne stops him and thanks him. When Gilbert asks if she's forgiven him at last, Anne confesses that she forgave him back at Barry's Pond. Gilbert runs with it and says, we are going to be the best of friends. We were born to be good friends, Anne. You've thwarted destiny long enough. Perhaps Gilbert won't let himself admit that deep down he loves Anne. He doesn't just want to be friends with her, but he's admitting here that the two of them have a special connection. The two talk for the next half hour and pledge to help each other keep up their studies. And that's where we leave Anne at the end of Green
1: Gable's. That thwarted destiny line really gets me, though, and I think it signals to the reader that Gilbert does have plans in store for him and Anne, and as a reader, I'm really torn on this. One part of me, of course, loves the romantic, like, faded quality of their relationship, and clearly Gilbert loves that, too. But their other part of me feels like, you know, Anne gave Gilbert an inch, a sincere apology and an offer of friendship. And Gilbert took a mile proclaiming that they would be best friends and that their bond is preordained. I mean, there's like this disconnect there, right, between what Anne is ready to give and what Gilbert believes he's getting. And that disconnect is at the heart of the tension between Gilbert and Anne for the next two books. I think that Gilbert's generous interpretation of Anne's offer of friendship is both incredibly earnest and charming and also, frankly, entitled. Gilbert is still the same exact boy he was back in the Avonlea schoolroom, where all the girls liked him and forgave his teasing. When Anne agrees to be friends, it's almost like all is right in the Gilbert Blythe universe once more. The girls like him. He's beloved and popular once again.
0: Yes, in a way. But I think whatever Gilbert feels for Anne, I think, isn't related to wanting to be liked by everybody in general. He wants to be part of Anne's specific sphere. Mm. Maybe initially it was sparked by her defiance and rejection of him. But even without that, I think he would have been drawn to her intellect and ambition. I also do think that Gilbert has been doing what we often accuse Anne of doing which is idealizing her and imagining what a friendship or more would be like with Anne. So the instant Anne forgives him, he's ready to dive right in. And the truth is, he is going to have to lead the way a little bit to be the one to initiate and set the tone for their friendship. Partly because of gender roles for the time, Partly because Anne's pride and insecurity make her hesitant and contradictory in her friendship with him. If Gilbert didn't go forward with setting up an in-depth friendship instead of a casual one,
1: I don't know how much Anne would have initiated more. Anne of Avonlea picks up immediately right off where Green Gables ends. Anne mentions Gilbert right in the very first chapter when talking about starting the AVIS, the Avonlea Village Improvement Society. We find out that Gilbert would be teaching at White Sands, but would always be home from Friday night to Monday morning and was enthusiastic about a village improvement society that he and Anne had talked them over and planned them out until an ideal Avonlea existed in their minds, if nowhere else. So in the few weeks between the end of Green Gables and the beginning of Avonlea, Anne and Gilbert are already firm friends who are channeling their ambitions into creating this village improvement society. And it makes sense, right, that these two who have been circling each other for the last six years, steadfastly ignoring each other, but constantly aware of each other, jump into being besties pretty much immediately. They haven't been friends, but they know each other on a deep level. We know Anne has spent a lot of time not thinking about Gilbert in a way that meant she was deeply thinking about Gilbert. And we have to assume that the same was probably true for him. I have to wonder what the folks of Avonlea think watching these two. Anne and
0: Gilbert are quickly leaders of the Avonlea Young Folk, discussing teaching strategies and masterminding the AVIS, but they also just watch the two of them ignore each other for six years.
1: What a whiplash. Right. And then Anne and Gilbert are mad, you know, later on that their names are strung up together in gossip and that people are talking about them. It's like, okay, well, don't act this way then, you guys. <laughs> Clarification. Anne is mad. <laughs> I, think Gilbert,
0: I think That's Gilbert's true. fine with it, but you know, Anne does everything 100%, and we have to imagine that Gilbert has been waiting to be friends with Anne, and so he leaps in enthusiastically. Throughout Anne of Avonlea, we see that Anne and Gilbert are helping each other study through correspondence courses, and we see that Gilbert is one of the few to whom Anne confides some of her writing ambitions, although she won't let him see anything she's written yet. Halfway through the timeline of Anne of Avonlea, we get a little peek into what Gilbert might be experiencing in his friendship with Anne. Just as Anne is noticing that Gilbert is handsome, she is simultaneously shutting down that train of thought by reminding herself of her romantic ideal and how Gilbert is a great friend, but nothing more. And then we get a little moment where we see through Gilbert's eyes regarding Anne. So this is a little bit of a long passage, but it describes Gilbert's state of mind so perfectly that it's best just to let Maude say it instead of us trying to paraphrase it. Gilbert stretched himself out on the ferns beside the bubble and looked approvingly at Anne. If Gilbert had been asked to describe his ideal woman, the description would have been answered point for point to Anne, even to those seven tiny freckles whose obnoxious presence still continued to vex her soul. Gilbert was as yet little more than a boy. But a boy has his dreams, as have others, and in Gilbert's future, there was always a girl with big, limpid, gray eyes, and a face as fine and delicate as a flower. He had made up his mind also that his future must be worthy of its goddess. Even in Quiet Avonlea, there were temptations to be met and faced. White Sands youth were a rather fast set, and Gilbert was popular wherever he went. But he meant to keep himself worthy of Anne's friendship and perhaps some distant day her love. And he watched over word and thought and deed as jealously as if her clear eyes were to pass in judgment on it. She held over him the unconscious influence that every girl whose ideals are high and pure wields over her friends. An influence which would endure as long as she was faithful to those ideals and which she would as certainly lose if she were ever false to them. In Gilbert's eyes, Anne's greatest charm was the fact that she never stooped to the petty practices of so many of the Avonlea girls, the small jealousies, the little deceits and rivalries, the palpable bids for favor. Anne held herself apart from all this, not consciously or of design, but simply because anything of the sort was utterly foreign to her transparent, impulsive nature, crystal clear in its motives and aspirations. But Gilbert did not attempt to put his thoughts into words, for he had already too good reason to know that Anne would mercilessly and frost. Nip all attempts at sentiment in the bud or laugh at him, which was 10 times worse. So, for most of Anne of Avonlea, Gilbert rather follows Anne's lead. He might have pushed the friendship a little fast, but now he knows not to rush Anne romantically. And perhaps due to his own ambition, he's content right here being all in with Anne's friendship.
1: I really love that quote, Reagan, and I just adore that insight into Gilbert's approach with Anne. I love the idea that he means to keep himself worthy of Anne's friendship and perhaps some distant day, her love. Oh, so good. You know what, though? I have to share one of my favorite Gilbert moments in Anne of Avonlea is where Gilbert and Anne send in the fake gossip to the local newspaper. <laughs> This is where they end up accurately predicting that terribly destructive storm as well as somehow the return of Mrs. Harrison. So it's also like this deliciously ironic plot moment as well. But it gives us this like different information about Gilbert's character and who Gilbert and Anne are when it's just the two of them together. We've seen them study together and dream of their college days to come together. We've seen them work to improve Avonlea together but it's rare that we see them just sort of like have fun together. And we don't even really see it in the scene either. We just know that they submitted these fake blind items to the paper. So we kind of have to imagine how that all happened. It's such like a wildly mischievous and silly prank. And both Anne and Gilbert are pretty ambitious people. So you don't get the sense that they have a lot of time for shenanigans between all of their earnest village improvements and do goodery, right? I can just see them laughing together, sitting under a tree, competing good-naturedly for who could come up with the funniest blind items. I can see Gilbert daring Anne to submit it to the paper and her being unable to back down from the challenge. I can just feel the lightness of their laughter and their youth in this moment. And I wish so much that this scene was on the page.
0: Me too. It's one of the things that really invokes the character of their friendship and why they enjoy each other's company. And it's a little bit what's missing in Anne. Anne's
1: relationship with Roy, which we talked about last episode, right? She says that Roy doesn't make her laugh, but Gilbert does. And it's like, we don't have a ton of textual evidence that that's true. This is one of those scenes where you can tell that whenever this did happen, they were cracking each other up.
0: It would make such a great scene in a modern, updated rom-com movie of this romance journey, don't you think? Oh, yeah. Unfortunately for Gilbert, just as he's coming to maturity at the end of Anne of Avonlea and so perhaps ready for actual romance and to start envisioning a marriage, Anne has a few experiences that cement for her a conviction to hold to her romantic ideal and not look for romance somewhere commonplace like Avonlea. Anne helps inadvertently bring about the reconciliation of Miss Lavender and her prince charming, and Anne is wrapped up in the wedding of the two. Anne paints herself a storybook picture romance around Miss Lavender and Mr. Irving and thrills to the idea of it. The fact that Mr. Irving is tall and distinguished looking and apparently rich helps along Anne's romance novel idea of proposals and weddings. And Anne has a significant response to Diana becoming engaged to Fred Wright. Anne feels betrayed in her heart of hearts, not just because Diana has a relationship that doesn't include Anne, but because the very ordinariness of the relationship contrasts so starkly with the ideal that youthful Diana, inspired by Anne, espoused. Anne commits even more to never giving up on her romantic ideal. And thus, as Gilbert walks Anne home after Miss Lavender's wedding, he may be feeling that the moment is right to make a romantic move on Anne, but Anne is feeling even more armored against any such thing. Gilbert doesn't outright say anything specific to Anne, but he meets her gaze and talks about how it's too bad that Miss Lavender and Mr. Irving had to spend so many years apart and quote, wouldn't it have been more beautiful still, Anne, if there had been no separation or misunderstanding, if they had come hand in hand all the way through life with no memories behind them, but those which belong to each other? Anne has a moment when she can feel that this might be true and she blushes when she meets his gaze, but then she drops that idea right away. Gilbert, on the other hand, while he says nothing, quote, read the history of the next four years in the light of Anne's remembered blush. Four years of earnest, happy work, and then the guirdan of a useful knowledge gained and a sweetheart won. If you, as I was, are wondering what a guirdan means, it means a reward. I love it. I didn't know what that word meant either. He sees the emotion that Anne is hiding from herself as much as anyone in that moment. And it inspires him to bring that dream of a relationship with Anne a little more to the forefront of his experience.
1: This is all so interesting to me. So we have this moment of like maybe higher consciousness from Gilbert where he can kind of tell that Anne may be beginning to reciprocate his feelings. Like he just is intuiting it, but he's also getting this other message that he's going to have to work for it. Like this isn't coming easy. Right.
0: As we talked about at length last episode, Anne of the Island opens immediately in the wake of this little silent shared moment between Anne and Gilbert. And while Gilbert reads a tiny bit of permission, encouragement in Anne's blush, Anne backs away hurriedly from it. From a modern perspective, of course, it could look a bit like Gilbert reading far too much into that moment and pursuing someone who's not interested in being pursued. And certainly, he could take it too far. But the standards of the time probably would not have let Anne encourage Gilbert more directly. And tiny moments like that might be the only way for a suitor to know that his interests were desired.
1: Yeah, I think that is part of what's going on here. And I don't really think that Gilbert is out of order for reading between the lines and looking for subtext and clues that Anne is into him. Gilbert tries in the next few weeks to see if Anne might return his interest, but his two extremely mild attempts are outright rejected by Anne. Anne even tries to punish him for trying by letting Charlie Sloan walk her home. Gilbert acts like he doesn't care and goes off with Ruby instead. And while I doubt that Gilbert feels at all threatened by Charlie's interest in Anne, it must sting a little bit. Rejection usually does. And so Gilbert and Anne start college, and Gilbert wisely doesn't try anything romantic with Anne so as to stay a cherished friend.
0: These days you might talk about it as him being, quote, friend-zoned, but I think that's a terrible term, and it's not precisely what's happening here. I think Gilbert understands that Anne isn't ready for romance with him or with anyone, and he's not going to push her into something that she doesn't want yet. After all, he's almost three years older than Anne. So she's 18 right here, and he's at least 20, maybe 21, depending on when his birthday falls. And I think that Gilbert does not, at this point, view Anne's friendship as second best to a romance. He might want more from Anne, but he really enjoys being her friend for right now. He's just hoping that when Anne is ready for romance, she will view him and their friendship as a foundation block for something real.
1: I think acknowledging that difference in their ages is pretty key, actually. Remember that Diana was engaged to Fred for three years because Diana's mother wouldn't let her marry until she was 21. So 18-year-old Anne is still pretty young for anything too serious.
0: Yeah, it's not like dating casually is really an option for Victorian women, right? It's kind of nothing until it's an engagement.
1: No, that's really true. Yeah, you don't want to like let someone go too far down the courtship path if you are not feeling seriously about them. So Anne and Diana and all the women that we meet in these books have to be pretty careful. And Gilbert, you know, he truly is a wonderful friend to Anne. He's supportive, talking her down from her tailspin about Avril's atonement, and he's interesting and he encourages Anne's ambitions as enthusiastically as he pursues his own. I never get the impression from Gilbert that he's humoring her or just showing interest in her passions because he's attracted to her. He's genuinely interested in her and and still finds her as intriguing as she was when she was the new girl at Avonlea School. She excites his curiosity and colors his views of the world. Even being just friends, Gilbert gets a lot out of their relationship. This is another way in which he's a great romance hero. Anne is a complete, fully fleshed out person to him, and he adores all of her.
0: What's funny about Anne is that all through Anne of the Island, she thinks about Gilbert as her long-cherished schoolhouse chum. (laughs) always worrying about spoiling their friendship and their comradeship. She thinks Quote, as a companion, Anne honestly acknowledged nobody could be so satisfactory as Gilbert. She was very glad, so she told herself, that he had evidently dropped all nonsensical ideas, though she spent considerable time secretly wondering why. But when you think about it, Anne and Gilbert weren't friends at all when she was a student in Avonlea or when she was a child. They were really only friends in these last two years of teaching before Redmond, which doesn't mean the friendship isn't deep and real, but it does speak to the intensity and the rightness of their friendship. So it feels like they've been friends forever.
1: Yes, And Anne calling Gilbert a schoolhouse chum, it almost makes it seem like Anne is nostalgic for those adversarial days. Like she's looking back on them fondly.
0: It is amazing how our memories do that. Then they sort of stain backwards with where we are right now. So right now she loves Gilbert's friendship so
1: much. She looks back on that time with friendly fondness. Yes, even though that was not it. I mean, 13-year-old Anne had nothing good to say about Gilbert Blythe. Oh no. When it becomes harder for Gilbert to hide his growing romantic feelings toward Anne, like over that snowy winter break when he trekked up nearly daily to Green Gables to see her, Anne starts to feel awkward and wants their easy companionship back. And then something must tip over for Gilbert. In the late spring of their sophomore year, he finally speaks and proposes to Anne. It's a heart-wrenching scene. Gilbert is deeply vulnerable and Anne is distraught at turning him down. She wants their friendship to go on eternally as it has been. She does hate hurting him and she mourns the blow that this means for their close relationship. Regan, why does Gilbert speak now? What did he think was going to happen?
0: I mean, he has been coming to see Anne faithfully for years Anne's never been as close to another man as she is to Gilbert and has never showed any romantic interest in another man either. So I think it's fair for Gilbert to speak up. If he doesn't have any chance with Anne, it's best he knows it now so he can move on instead of investing more emotional energy into imagining a future for the two of them. And it's not fair to Anne for her to think they're just friends and Gilbert is secretly planning their wedding. That's the worst kind of nice guy toxic trait, right? Mm -hmm. It's not fair to Gilbert to be living in hope if there isn't one. And maybe he interpreted all the awkwardness between them during the winter holiday visits to be of Anne's romantic interest struggling through. Okay, that's generous. (laughs) Maybe, but maybe he's also just tired of living in limbo. You can't blame him for that. I am a bit surprised that he's surprised though. So far, Anne hasn't given any indication that she's interested in romance and is,
1: in fact, avoided being alone with him since winter. So, Regan, I'm really of two minds about this. And, you know, first of all, you might disagree with me here, but I do see this as another instance of Gilbert's confident, almost cocky entitlement. He has never been encouraged romantically by Anne, other than like a few blushes or vibes or some like mm-hmm. moments of tension here and there and yet he still thinks it's appropriate to propose. That's bonkers. That is a bonkers decision. You do not propose marriage to someone who flinches when you take her hand.
0: Wait, wait, wait. Time out though. Let's be honest. By this point in the book, Anne has been proposed to by Billy Andrews. That's true. She has had almost no conversation and Charlie Sloan, Charlie. who she actively hates. Oh, let's be honest. Gilbert's got a little bit more of a leg to stand on than either of those two guys.
1: Gilbert's thinking, well, I look pretty good in comparison to those two. Right. But, you know, I think you can read this, and I don't know that I do, but I think you can read this as almost a selfish moment. He knows that talk of romance between him and Anne makes her uncomfortable. He's experienced her discomfort, but he presses on, deciding that his need for clarity, his need to be heard and seen and understood, is more important than her comfort. We talked about this a bit in our last episode, but there's a parallel to be drawn between Gilbert's first proposal and Mr. Darcy's first proposal in Pride and Prejudice. Darcy proposes to Elizabeth in pretty much the worst possible way. It's it's, it's so awful. I mean, it's wonderful. It's one of the greatest moments in literary history, but it's so terrible. so he's rude and dismissive of her for weeks and weeks and then he just proposes out of the blue quote against his own better judgment he is sure to tell her elizabeth rightly rejects him and with gilbert you know his proposal isn't laced with that same haughty disdain but he still feels the need to center his experience his feelings at the expense of anne's tender sensitive heart which really has been doing its best to keep gilbert at arm's length all this time so knowing that Maud was a fan of Pride and Prejudice makes me think about why Maud wanted Gilbert and Anne to have this awkward moment. I do think there is something terribly romantic about someone telling you that their strength of feelings for you cannot be contained by friendship anymore. Or, you know, in Darcy's case, cannot be contained by growling at you from across <laughs> the room anymore. <laughs> So I kind of love the idea that Gilbert's passion for Anne just sort of bubbled up and he had to propose common sense be damned. And of course, from a plot and dramatic tension standpoint, this first proposal marks the moment for Anne where she knows she needs to make an affirmative choice to move her life in one direction or the other. Her relationships are not going to remain static forever.
0: Well, okay. I don't know if I would call it entitlement on the part of Gilbert. I do think To a certain extent, Gilbert gets to ask for some clarity here. It's not like there are a lot of ways for women to signal interest. Gilbert's been escorting her to all of the social events, coming to see her all of the time. I think trying to sit on his feelings is becoming increasingly difficult, and he'd rather have it out in the open. I think trying to pretend he doesn't have romantic feelings for Anne while still being her friend, is a different kind of falseness and a different kind of centering his needs over Anne. Because
1: that would be centering his need to be close with her over the truth, right? Yeah, I know. I can see that too, right? Having honesty and forthrightness between them, even if it's painful, is better. Yeah.
0: Cause I think otherwise, right. That's like a terrible feeling when you find out that somebody that you've been just friends with for years has been like calling caterers and planning
1: your wedding. I, that- yeah, no, I love that earlier point that you made that it's like, you know, here, she thinks he'll, he's just my bestie. And meanwhile, he's twiddling his thumbs, planning his wedding speech.
0: Right, exactly. So it has to happen as awful as it is for both of them. Otherwise, Anne could have gone on for years having her cake and eating it too, so to speak. Her wedding cake. Right, her wedding cake. She gets an invested Gilbert who prioritizes her, doesn't go after anyone else romantically to spar with her intellectually and to comfortably hang out with. And she gets to keep living in her head, waiting for her ideal tall, dark, and handsome man to show up. Anne has to miss him in order to recognize her feelings as love, not just Mm -hmm. friendship. Gilbert, deserves a chance to try to move out of Anne's orbit for a second and figure out what he really wants too. I think you are very right though, that one thing Anne consistently wrestles with is other people changing in ways that she doesn't see coming. Yeah, She struggles with Diana growing up and making choices that she wouldn't have guessed that Diana would make. She struggles with Diana being her own person. She struggles with Gilbert having feelings and ideas that she doesn't get to control as well. She wants her relationships to all stay the same and feels betrayed when people grow and change without her permission. A lot of folks struggle with that thing. She's not alone. But what happens next for Anne and Gilbert has got to be rough for poor Gilbert. So Anne rejects him. He has to think back on all of those moments of closeness that he thought they shared and Mm -hmm. contextualize them all as meaning nothing to Anne. And he has to keep it all close to the vest. Who can he confide in about his heartbreak?
1: I mean, his only friend seems to be Charlie Sloan. (laughs) <laughs> and he's not going to tell Charlie because he also proposed to Anne. And also, <laughs> like, just as an aside, though, why didn't Gilbert talk Charlie out of that? I mean, come on, bros. What are you doing? I don't think guys talk to each other about this type of thing back then, did they? Clearly Gilbert and Charlie didn't. <laughs> So we know that no one from Avonlea knows about this for over a year, just as Anne keeps getting lots of awkward questions from the Avonlea folk that imply that they are expecting that Anne and Gilbert are still close and are even perhaps courting. The same must be true for Gilbert, even if he's lucky to duck a lot of the in-person questions by staying in Kingsport for that summer.
0: Gilbert keeps coming to Patty's place for a bit in the fall, joking and laughing with all the girls. After all, they have to be a huge part of his social life up till now. He never lets on his heartbreak, but he, quote, neither sought nor avoided Anne. And when they have to interact directly, he talks to her, quote, pleasantly and courteously as to any newly made acquaintance. The old camaraderie was gone entirely. Mm. Anne interprets this as Gilbert having gotten over her. What Gilbert really feels we'll never know, and the book doesn't tell us, but I imagine he's throwing himself into life at Redmond so as to both not show his hurt and to try to move on. Right,
1: and you know, contrast this to what we know and understand of the proposal. He knew the proposal would be a bad idea. He knew Anne wasn't really there yet. And yet he did it anyway because he just couldn't stand it anymore. So clearly Gilbert is dealing with a deep intensity of feeling and that's not just going to turn off like a faucet. Instead, he undertakes this task to treat Anne as perfectly neutrally as possible, which must have felt Herculean. I have to imagine that he was really suffering here.
0: Yeah, then to make matters worse. Enter Roy, Prince Charming made flesh and the Redmond gossip goes crazy about Anne and Roy. Gilbert, I'm sure, knew all about Anne's idea of a romantic ideal and so must feel terribly defeated. During the same time, one of Gilbert's college friends asked Gilbert to hang out with his sister Christine, a music student, and make sure that she's not lonely in Kingsport. We find out at the end of the book that there was never anything romantic between Gilbert and Christine, the violet-eyed beauty that Anne always longed to be. Christine was always engaged to a young man back home and never had any feelings towards Gilbert, but appreciated the company. We can't know for sure, but it's possible this felt like kind of a relief to Gilbert. He has someone to escort to all the events who is safe, fills the hole of Anne's companionship, and keeps the gossips at bay while he heals. After all, Anne is waltzing around Kingsport on the arm of wealthy and handsome royal gardener. I'm sure Gilbert doesn't want anyone to be asking him about Anne or making assumptions that he's devastated. He's got to have some pride after all. He tells Anne later that he truly enjoyed Christine's company, so it must have been nice to have a simple friend that could be a distraction from having to watch Anne fall in love with Roy, or what she and everyone else thinks is love.
1: It must just break his heart. I mean, that makes so much sense. Christine would have felt like a great buffer from all that college gossip, to be sure. And since he didn't have feelings for her, he could just turn his full focus to his studies. I mean, the guy's got to get into medical school. Right, he's busy.
0: At Diana's wedding, Anne and Gilbert get a chance to reconnect a little. Roy and Christine make it feel safe for the two of them to be friends in a weird way. It kind of removes the possibility of anyone overinterpreting gestures as romantic. It takes away some of that tension. And then the next we hear of Gilbert, who has plunged into his studies with a single-mindedness that precludes much socializing. He has sent Anne some lilies of the valley for convocation. We learn at the same time that he had also sent Anne a little pink enamel heart necklace at Christmas, the card only reading, with all good wishes from your old chum, Gilbert. What do we think Gilbert's thinking right here?
1: Um, He's thinking romance, Reagan. Well, is he trying
0: to show that he's over Anne enough that he can recognize the bond of their friendship and their history at the moment of achieving this long sought after accomplishment? Is he fooling himself or trying to put on an act for Anne and anyone else watching? I'm sure that both the flowers and the necklace are genuinely meant gifts, but is he thinking of them as deliberate romantic gestures? I sort of think it's the kind of thing in romance stories where the Just a friend guy does some little gesture that shows that he really knows the heroine in a deep way that her current boyfriend doesn't like, I don't know, absentmindedly handing her mustard for her fries because he knows she hates ketchup or something. I made that one up. I didn't read it. I like it. Thank you. I, for one, like ketchup on my fries. Gilbert is connected to Anne and he sends her those things because they remind him of her and that connection is still genuine and real. And while he's not expecting anything to come of it specifically, it's important to him that he acknowledge that history to Anne, acknowledge their meaning to each other, even if she doesn't love him.
1: I think that's probably right. I just see those fingerprints of pride and prejudice all over this book. So I also know that from a storytelling perspective, it's time right? It's time for some kind of gesture from the hero to signal to the heroine that he hasn't forgotten her completely and I also think this threads back to the inherent romance of Anne and Gilbert's very first meeting and Gilbert's love at first sight reaction just as he was the only boy who saw her for who she truly was you know as wretched as she was then and loved her immediately, he's still now the man who can't see lilies of the valley at the flower shop without thinking of her, whose love for her is still so all-encompassing it occasionally over his common sense. I mean, it's an old trope, but it's a good one. And those gestures do seem to break through to
0: Anne in their way. First, she does seem to acknowledge possibly a romantic connection to Gilbert, carrying Gilbert's flowers instead of Roy's to convocation and putting on the necklace to go to the dance. She couches the flowers as honoring the dream of college graduation that she dreamed with Gilbert and that he supported her in dreaming all those years ago. But we know... And Gilbert perhaps thinks he knows too because his eyes flash at the sight of Anne carrying them. But then, all it takes is a tiny bit of gossip about the possibility of an engagement between Gilbert and Christine, and Anne pulls away from that again. Poor Gilbert approaches Anne for a dance, thinking, I'm sure that her carrying the lilies means at least Anne might be open to dancing with him. But rejected. Again, Anne's insecurity and pride is no joke. Seriously. But... Those gestures have done their work, reminded her of what it feels like to be deeply known, what it feels like to feel at home with someone. And when Roy proposes, although Gilbert is not specifically part of Anne's thought at that moment, She does admit when she turns Roy down, she wants someone who belongs in her life in a way that Roy never
1: did. The last episode in Ann and Gilbert's halting journey toward fulfillment is in the summer after graduation, and poor Gilbert has to fall deathly ill with typhoid for it to happen. Gilbert had been working extremely hard in the last year to win top honors and the Cooper Prize so he can go forward with his medical course in his ambition of becoming a doctor. And while Anne is off at Echo Lodge, He's hit hard by typhoid and in his rundown condition is in no shape to fight it. When Anne returns from Echo Lodge, Davy blurts out that Gilbert is dying. It seems like they don't expect him to make it through the night at that point. Anne is in shock and has a sudden realization of how deeply she loves Gilbert and how desperately sorry she is that he will never know that. She also feels deep in her soul that Gilbert loves her still. And in the morning, when she sees the hired man come over the hill, she finds out from him that Gilbert's fever has broken and he's turned a corner out of danger. Anne is thunderstruck with relief. But the curious thing, despite this revelation, is that Anne does not tell Gilbert about it. (laughs) We find out that in his recovery, Anne starts doubting the truth of her revelation. Not doubting that she loves Gilbert, but doubting that he loves her and that their relationship is meant to be. So Anne has resolved that they will be only friends. She will never have a grand romance and instead dedicate her life to her teaching career. Gilbert has been treating her like a good friend during his recovery though. And at last, he asks her to take a walk one evening. Anne does not think anything particularly of it because she regretfully turns him down since she's on her way to a friend's wedding. Gilbert is, quote, apparently not much disappointed and promises to come back for a walk the next night. However, we the readers know that Gilbert has a sudden vision of Anne in the green dress that she's finishing, and it makes him catch his breath that he doesn't let on.
0: Now, Anne is the one finding that their friendship is unsatisfying. and not The enough. tables have turned. <laughs> the tables have turned. When Anne and Gilbert finally walk off together, they are both admiring each other kind of out of the corner of their eyes. And when Gilbert's tone of voice finally shifts meaningfully, as he asks Anne, have you any unfulfilled dreams? Anne notices it, and her heart beats wildly. And yet, she doesn't let on at all, answering lightly something very silly about wishing she could see perfumes. And then Gilbert plunges into a proposal, finally. So why do we think he's finally chosen this moment? Because Anne isn't necessarily giving him any indication that she's changed her mind about him so far. Yeah,
1: she's over here talking about perfumes.
0: (laughs) Or any of the signals that she hasn't given off many times in the past, only for her to reject him.
1: He's read her wrong before. Okay, and so again, we have that beautiful contrast between... Gilbert's good sense between Victorian manners and mores, you know, being polite and civil at all costs, and then that genuine strength of Gilbert's passionate love for Anne. It is so delicious. (laughs) (laughs) But at a certain point, being friendly and cordial and keeping it light just isn't tenable anymore. And you have to break the rules and say what you mean. So we find out later that Phil had written to Gilbert after Anne turned down Roy and advised him to try again. So that's something. And his proposal is lovely in a very full circle way. He talks about his dream, a cozy dream. A familiar dream, not a castle in Spain. A dream that it's about a little tiny home with a dog and a cat in front of the fire, friends approaching, and Anne in the center of it. It's the exact opposite of what Anne has always told herself she wanted, and yet in that moment she knows that it's the only thing she wants. And Anne's response is the exact opposite of what she thought she'd do in her imagined high romance. Instead of a poetic speech, she can't even speak, but she lets her eyes shine with love and happiness. Anne didn't get what she thought she wanted, but she got exactly what she needed and exactly what was right.
0: And so Gilbert's perseverance and faith in their connection has finally prevailed and we all cheer. Woo-hoo! He admits that he has loved Anne since the day she broke that slate on his head. And that he has spent and that he has spent the last 2 years essentially in hell waiting to hear that Anne's engagement to Roy is about to be announced. He tried to stop loving Anne. That is where we saw him pull away, lean into hanging out with Christine, bury himself in schoolwork, and try to pretend he was over Anne. He was trying to convince himself and everybody else. I can only imagine that on his sickbed, he had his own moment of revelation about his feelings for Anne. And so finally, he had to speak. Such a roller coaster for us as readers, but especially for Gilbert.
1: Poor Gilbert. <laughs>
0: We love how he loves Anne for herself, how he gave her the space she wanted, even though it hurt him deeply to do it. He was ready to give Anne up if that's what she really wanted. And now they are both on the same page, dreaming the same dream together. Sometimes good guys
1: do get their dream girl. Oh, Gilbert. So... Moving on to our birch path, I wanted to spend just a little bit of time contextualizing some Victorian courtship rituals in an effort to shed light on some of the pitfalls that faced Gilbert in his pursuit of Anne. First, of course, I have to quote Jane Austen, (laughs) who, in addition to being one of the greatest English language authors of all time, she's also a fabulous primary source on all things courtship in the 19th century. So this quote is cut from Henry Tilney, who was the love interest of Catherine Moreland in Northanger Abbey. When Henry is talking to Catherine and compares dancing to marriage, Henry says, You will allow that in both, man has the advantage of choice, woman only the power of refusal. That in both, it is an engagement between man and woman, formed for the advantage of each. And that when once entered into, they belong exclusively to each other till the moment of its dissolution that it is their duty each to endeavor to give the other no cause for wishing that he or she had bestowed themselves elsewhere, and their best interest to keep their own imaginations from wandering toward the perfection of their neighbors or fancying that they should have been better off with anyone else. So, in my research, I learned how big a role class plays in dancing and courtship and marriage. For upper class men and women in the 19th century, there were tons of strict rules for courtship that had to be followed. For moneyed Victorians, courtship and marriage was very much with a mind to consolidate wealth, power, and influence among families that already had a lot of those things. So, young people often did not have a great deal of discretion in who they were permitted to court and eventually marry, especially young women who usually needed to get their parents' or chaperones' permission for even the smallest decisions, like who to dance with or who they could accept flowers from. On the other hand, working class people like Anne and Gilbert and most of the people we know from the Montgomery verse, with perhaps the exception of Philippa and the gardeners, now they would have been influenced by the values underlying those customs, but they might not have taken them to such an extreme. One thing to understand is that strict Victorian courtship rituals all arose from patriarchal values and gender roles. They believed that men were supposed to be strong protectors, and women were supposed to be meek and virtuous, and gay and trans and other queer people were supposed to not exist. So, above all else, young women were supposed to be virgins, and any unauthorized or unchaperoned contact with a man could threaten a woman's virginity. So, I just want to (laughs) say... To be clear, Reagan and I do not ascribe to virginity as a social concept. It's a concept that only harms women and uses shame to control them. We know that a person's sexual life has no bearing on their value or worth. Boo patriarchy. Boo patriarchy. (laughs) But once you understand how sacrosanct Victorians believe virginity to be, you can understand some of their rules for courtship. First of all, men and women were not allowed to introduce themselves to one another, so just meeting people would have been a challenge requiring friends, family, and other connections to introduce the couple. This way, the families of the young people could decide if the meeting was appropriate and they could protect their daughter from any improper advances from the young man. Likewise, a courting couple was almost never alone together. They would be chaperoned at parties and outings, other social events, and even private moments like a marriage proposal would generally feature a parent or other family member within sight. Now, contrast this to what we actually see with Anne and Gilbert in these books. These two spend a ton of time together. They go on long walks alone. Gilbert visits Patty's place in Green Gables constantly. Sometimes he's chaperoned by Aunt Jimsy or Marilla and Mrs. Lind, but Maud even tells us that Marilla and Mrs. Lynde give Anne and Gilbert privacy to talk, which, you know, of course makes Anne blush. So this is where we start to see some of those class differences. Right? I'm sure Anne's virtue is important to Marilla, but she also lives in a more practical world where strictly adhering to ballroom etiquette doesn't make much sense. And I was also thinking about this in the way that Anne and Roy meet. Remember that Roy is a member of a social class where his family likely would have wanted to control who he met and married and kept company with, but going off to college at Redmond opened up Roy's world to women of different classes like Anne. And so they met in like this more organic way than if their parents had introduced them over tea because courting men and women were rarely left alone together elaborate codes developed for covertly expressing interest. This is what we were kind of alluding to earlier (laughs) in the episode, Reagan, when we were saying like, how could Anne even tell Gilbert how she felt, right? Right. So some of these codes were like wearing specific flowers or holding your fan in a certain way. There's a lot out there on the internet about the Victorian language of flowers and ballroom fan codes, but There's nothing about this in the Anne books, which really leads me to believe that if these kinds of codes were widely practiced, it was mostly among the upper classes. Although Anne does sort of send a floral message to Gilbert and Roy at the end of Anne of the Island by choosing her graduation flowers, she's not using the coded language of flowers per se. She definitely isn't because if you asked her
0: directly, she would not have said that she was sending any message at all. Right.
1: She wasn't looking up like, oh, orchids mean this and lilies of the valley mean that. Like she was just, or no, Roy got her violets, right? Roy got her violets. Yeah. Violets mean this, lilies of the valley mean that. She just was going with her gut. (laughs) Well, and not only that,
0: if you asked her, are you, by carrying Gilbert's flowers, are you trying to tell him that you still care for him? She'd be like, what? No.
1: No, I I just thought they'd look pretty.
0: Yeah. Right. Or they remind me of home. That's a perfectly acceptable answer for
1: her. She would not. not Not everything is about Gilbert. God, just stop it. Oh, man. So courting couples were also expected to uphold really high standards of behavior. Men could not show attention to more than one woman at a time. That's where that rogue or that rake stereotype comes from, the guy who flirts with more than one girl. So I was thinking about this with Gilbert, particularly how he's caught in this trap between not being able to openly court Anne, right, because she's so hesitant about it, but also not being able to court anyone else because he can't show that his attention is divided in public, right? Because then he would get a reputation as a rake. So courting men were also advised to dress well, be neat and clean, be neither too brash nor too timid, to always think of the lady's comfort and happiness, and to just uphold ethical behavior generally. I think that all is still very good advice for dating today.
0: I do think it is good, just good standard
1: advice for folks of either gender when they are dating, for sure. Exactly right. Some of this Victorian dating advice we can discard, but dressing well, be neat and clean, upholding ethical behavior. Yes. Yes. Bring it all back. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, and I think it's a very good point about how Gilbert is really caught in a trap. And maybe that's what pushes that first mm-hmm. disastrous proposal, right? He needs to kind of know where he's going with Anne. If she returns his interest, then they don't have to get married, but he's kind of like, right, okay, we can now. We can I know keep going, right? But if she says no, well
1: then he can move on and court someone
0: else if he, he wants to. his attention
1: to someone else, which he really is kind of precluded from that as long as he appears to be escorting Anne places, right? So even though Anne and Gilbert understand that they're spending time together is very platonic, from outward appearances, it looks like they're dating. Can't take Anne to a football game one day and then take someone else to a dance the other day. That just wasn't done. Right. So getting that clarity was important. So a typical 19th century courtship for middle and working class people would usually be quite short you know, likely less than a year, which I think is really interesting, like kind of the dating part the getting to know you part is usually pretty short. It's kind of like, okay, we get along, good, nail it down. But on the other hand, engagements were often very long because the couple is saving money for their wedding and their new life together. And we see this in the and books, right? Because Diana is over here saying that she's going to use her three-year long engagement to sew all of her household linens. and, And that kind of thing seems like it was pretty common. Engagement rings were also common, usually pretty simple among people of Anne and Gilbert's class. And so was sitting for a photograph together and exchanging locks of hair, which of course Anne loves. Uh-huh. <laughs> and keeping in touch through letter writing was another way that courting and engaged couples got to know each other better. And we see that, of course, in Anne and Gilbert's correspondence and Anne of Windy Poplar's.
0: So interesting. I think it was really interesting to get a little bit of historical context for the way that their relationship proceeds and why mm-hmm. there was so much unsaid until it was said and why it just seems so
1: awkward. I mean, seemed off.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, today, instead of puffed sleeves, because honestly, this entire episode is basically just a puffed sleeve moment because we just wanted to talk more about Gilbert. Yep. <laughs> there isn't a mo- Gilbert moment on the page that we have not already discussed. I don't know. We would never leave it out. Please, yeah, please,
1: our loyal listeners, we would not do that to you. Exactly. So instead,
0: let's talk a little bit about two of the different ways that Gilbert's been portrayed on screen and the slightly different characterizations that actors have given him. In our One True Love adaptation of Anne, the 1985 miniseries, Jonathan Crombie plays Gilbert in such a way that an entire generation of girls claim him as their very first crush. And Jonathan Crombie plays Gilbert a bit more rascally than he really comes across in the book. So sometimes I think Kelly, when you talk about Gilbert being cocky, I feel like that's really influenced by this portrayal of it probably Gilbert is than I think is, necessarily his smirking face yes (laughs) yes then is necessarily canon in the books Mm. because in some ways this Gilbert acts just as petty as Anne does some of the time he teases her in the pond when he rescues her he does this very specific spurning of her and ignoring of her in an added scene of the Christmas dance when she approaches him and he does it deliberately to kind of hurt her back
1: Yeah, the real Gilbert, the book Gilbert would never. No, he never meets Anne's
0: pettiness with his own. Jonathan Crombie's Gilbert definitely flirts with other girls to make Anne jealous. So you can also see that he joyfully leans into the academic rivalry with Anne. He's generally full of laughter and good nature. And he's also very obviously smitten with her right off the bat. We've joked about the fact that Jonathan Crombie is a master of the longing look, and there are lots of moments when he is caught gazing soulfully at Anne. So that version definitely pushes the romance earlier than it happens in the book, and maybe that's a little bit also because they've aged the characters up a bit. Anne and Gilbert have a more flirty exchange before the White Sands concert, and it's clear then that Anne is perhaps interested in Gilbert romantically, but is rejecting him because she doesn't want to disappoint Marilla, who is afraid that an interest in a boy would get in the way of Anne's education. So in that version, it seems like there's a lot less of Anne doing this dance back and forth, at least early on, the way that she does in the book. So in contrast, the Gilbert in the first season of Anne with an E is played by Lucas Jade Zuman. And that Gilbert is played far more somber and far more thoughtful and gallant that even that his Gilbert calling Anne Carrots actually seems out of character for him. Zuman's Gilbert is given a far more tragic backstory and fewer moments of levity and joy. And to be fair, we didn't watch past the first season, so maybe he lightens up. But looking from the episode summaries, I don't think so.
1: That kind of doesn't seem like it. No. The Anne with an E. Gilbert, like he's seen some stuff. Yeah. And maybe because that show emphasizes the darkness of Anne's past so heavily, they wanted to sort of get Gilbert on her same level.
0: Yeah. My problem with that is I think it throws off the balance between Anne and Gilbert. In the book, Gilbert comes from an intact, loving home and he's confident and cheerful and he kind of balances Anne's drama. He's not drawn into it. And it Mm -hmm. also makes Gilbert a lot more free to be Anne's friend and eventual love without bringing a lot of his own baggage to the relationship. So in Anne with an E, they're both dealing with trauma and sadness, and they might then be able to understand that in each other, but he's not necessarily bringing lightness and joy and laughter to Anne's life. So now I
1: kind of want to watch the rest of Anne with an E just specifically to see how they flesh out their romantic relationship and his portrayal. Like, are they just both like sad together? That can't be it. That can't be it. Right.
0: Honestly. Okay. And I'm sure we've got plenty of Anne with an E watchers out there who could tell us this. I think he gets sent off to sea for the first half of the second season. Oh boy. So, so two very different portrayals of our favorite romantic hero. Listeners, do you have a favorite portrayal of Gilbert? I would be curious and Drop us a note on our Instagram to tell us which your favorite one is. As we start winding up the episode, let's do a little Inspired by Gilbert. Yay. For being inspired by Gilbert, let's share our love
1: songs or
0: our wedding songs.
1: Yes, please. I love that you had this idea, Reagan.
0: So my husband's and my wedding song is Home by Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros. And- The theme of home being with the one you love that Anne finally gets to with Gilbert Mm -hmm. was really a theme throughout our wedding in a couple of ways. That's part of the reason why we chose that song. The chorus says that home is whenever I'm with you. And that's still something we like to say to each other sometimes. So and we also had at our wedding, we had you with your gorgeous, beautiful voice. Sing Feels Like Home by Randy Newman from the cast album of Faust as part of our wedding ceremony. So I love that song long before I met Steve. And I knew that that was the feeling I was looking for in a marriage. Yeah. That the line where the song says, it feels like home to me. It feels like I'm all the way back where I belong. Mm-hmm. I knew that that's the kind of person I wanted to be with. Somebody who made me feel that way. And then our other song, which came from when we were dating is Heads Carolina, Tails California by Jodi Messina. And we found that early in our dating life, probably on a road trip. And she sings all about wanting to travel all over. And the chorus says, where it don't matter as long as we're going somewhere together. So Steve and I have always loved that idea that as long as we're together, we are home in our life together. Okay.
1: Well, first of all, I love that. I love, I love all those songs that I love your theme about, right? Home is whenever I'm with you. That's actually, I don't know about you, but that is like the one relationship advice that I most consistently give people. You know, mm. people are dating, they're trying to figure out. Who's my person? Is this worth it? Where am I at with it? I always tell people that when you find your person, you just feel like you are home with them. Maybe I learned that from you. Maybe I learned that from this book, Unknown, but, (laughs) you know, I'm lucky that I have that as well. And you guys are adorable, by the way. I have been in the car. I've had the honor, the pleasure of being in the car with you for a Heads Carolina, Tails California sing-along, and it is just the cutest (laughs) thing ever. I love how romantic you two both are with each other. Oh, thank you you no? So our wedding song is Wagon Wheel, the old crow medicine show version. We got married at a sort of like hippie mountain hootenanny of a wedding. So that song really fit the theme. But you know, it's also a great song about just like being on a journey together and continuing to have fun the whole way, which we've tried to do that. I will say our other song is I Will Follow You Into the Dark by Death Cab for Cutie, which is not a jaunty uplifting song. <laughs> it's literally about after someone dies, waiting to die too. so you can be with them. It's a beautiful song. It's a beautiful song, but it's intense. I think that also speaks to the depth and intensity of me and my husband's connection. We're pretty connected. (laughs) I would say so.
0: I've loved getting a chance to watch the journey that you guys have gone on as a married couple together. And I always think of you guys and that magical mountain wedding you had when I hear wagon wheel for sure. Oh. So question for listeners, and maybe if you and I think about it, we can answer it on our Instagram later. What do you think Anne and Gilbert's love song would be?
1: Oh, yeah, that's a good one for our stories. I need to think about that, too. All right. Yeah, listeners, come up with your best guesses. Well, thank you all so much for joining us today, Kindred Spirits. We can hardly believe it, but we've been podcasting about Anne of Green Gables for almost a whole year. Our next episode will be our big one-year anniversary special, and we have lots of fun planned for that. So please follow, like, and review us wherever you listen to podcasts so that other Kindred Spirits can find us and follow us on Instagram at Club to keep the conversation going. Bye, Kindred Spirits!